whenever I have guests uh, come on the show, I always finish with one question. And I'll do this for every guest that comes in. So the question is, what do the words generate your value mean to you? So I'm gonna I'm gonna start with David sure. this time. Uh, when you hear the words "generate your value," what, what what comes to your mind, David? In life well, or in business? Yeah, well, I kind of tie them together. It's like success, family, and business tied together. Um, I guess to generate, and and I'm, I'm, when I think of that, I think about not just within myself, mm-hmm. but of sharing that value with other people. And you have to understand what your value is and what your values are. And, and I guess whether this really hits that subject or not is I like to try and do something for someone every day that they can't repay me. Mm. Mm. I can't follow that. <laughs> That's a whole I'm sure you can. You got your own ideas. Oh my gosh. Hello and welcome to the Generate Your Value podcast. I am your co-host, Andy McDowell, founder and owner of Generate Your Value, providing life, leadership, and small business coaching services in the Atlanta area. And I'm your other co-host, Zach Levy. I run a nationwide financial service business with my wife, Megan. Zach and I have the intention to bring you tips, concepts, ideas, suggestions, stories, and analogies from A to Z, which will help you to grow your personal brand and small business in such a way that joy, happiness, and success as you define it for yourself are achieved. We hope to use our gifts, talents, and experiences in business to generate value in your life. And with that being said, let's move to our topic for today. Hello and welcome to the Generate Your Value podcast. My name is Andy McDowell, one of the co-hosts. Um, I'll be the only host in today's episode. Um, my other co-host, Zach Levy, was unavailable for today's recording, but I have uh, a couple of special guests for us today. Uh, They're going to bring a unique perspective uh, to the entrepreneurial journey. I have a father and son team that both had their own uh, entrepreneurial paths. Uh, they both started in the corporate world like I did and eventually moved into the entrepreneur world. So um, I thought that might be a, a unique perspective to bring to you, the listening audience today. Uh, it's a little bit different. Um, and so therefore it might be of special interest to you. So I have uh, Mr. Scott Specker uh, with me today. Uh, he's with Five Star Painting here in the Atlanta area, uh, and I'll let him get into his history of going from corporate to um, uh, to the entrepreneurial journey. So if you want to say hi, Scott. Awesome. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me here. Appreciate yeah. it. It's an honor to be here. And with him, uh, he's brought today is his dad, uh, David Spector, uh, who also was in the corporate world and moved into an entrepreneurial journey. And his entrepreneurial journey is uh, very like what my own is. Uh, in terms of executive coaching and leadership and so forth. So um, uh, I might be learning a thing or two here (laughs) today, having somebody that's uh, already gone down that path, whereas I'm just starting out 
from that path. Uh, so if you want to say hi, hi, David. Well, hello, everyone. I can't see anybody, so it's kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> and my first time, but um, I'm happy to be here and share my experiences. Sure. Great to have you here today. Um, so let's start off with just the, the individual stories. If you want to start off, uh, Scott, first uh, talk a little bit about uh, your career background, the path that you took. Um, and, and I know you're in your current business with your wife, uh, who's not here today, but um, just give the listening audience a, a little bit of background about your journey. Sure, absolutely. So I'm um, from upstate New York, so got my degree in marketing uh, out of Canisius College, go Golden Griffs. Um, started uh, with an internship in sort of sales uh, out of a great company called Graphic Controls, but it led me, uh, the college actually led me into the food business. So I uh, worked for two different food brokers. That led me to the Nielsen company. They were using this really great software and I was really into it. So I actually cold called them, got hired by them. And uh, that was in 1996. And that started a 16 year career of um, doing client service. So I was actually teaching people how to analyze data, do fact-based selling. It led to more and more sort of serious analytics, bigger teams, promotions. So we got uh, relocated to Chicago, we got relocated to Pittsburgh, then got relocated to Atlanta. Um, when we arrived in Atlanta and were able to wear shorts uh, in December <laughs> and watch fireworks, uh, we said, we're done with the North, we yeah. love y'all. Uh, yeah. You know, he was coming close to retirement, family was moving out of Buffalo, so it was like, okay, we're gonna plant in Atlanta. Uh, and then in about uh, December, well, it was really early 2012, I was reaching a point where the corporate world was not cutting it for me. We'll go into those more details a little bit later, but right. it just was not reaching it. So I bought into a franchise called Five Star Painting in 2012, and I've been doing that since then as the owner and general manager. We now have two territories in North Atlanta, uh, and uh, yeah, we started it from nothing. So no customers, no painters, no employees, nothing. Right. And so <laughs> you you took the path of working with a um, a franchise recruiter. I did sitting down and trying to figure out what was your best entrepreneurial path to success given your financial situation and other uh, issues for, for you and your family and decided I franchise did. was the best route. And right? he was, and he was, it was not my first choice. So I looked mm-hmm. at doing actually something very similar to what dad did uh, as well as a few other ideas. And the franchise just kept making more and more sense for the, the stage of life I was in uh, the amount of money I had to live off of, you know, because he basically looked at me at one point and said, okay, how long can you go without making any money? Right. <laughs> like, right. Okay, uh, put it like that. So the franchise enabled to kind of quickly get up to speed with things. It was my first time really starting a business at 40 with no, you know, with kids preschool. I mean, I had savings, but um, it just made more and more sense. Uh, it was a little bit safer. When I looked at, you know, new businesses, when you look at uh, the success rate uh, for franchises, it's so much geared more towards franchises, like only 20% fail versus 80% fail of new businesses. Yeah. So uh, that was the safer route for me. I wanted the kind of the complete opposite of what I had done in the corporate world, um, where dad stuck with what he did and what he was good at, great mm-hmm. at. Mm-hmm. I just, I wanted a bit, I liked what I did, but it just felt similar and over and over again, kind of the same. So I went from market research, presenting to vice presidents and presidents of major companies to owning a painting company that paints right. houses, like totally right. different. Yeah. And so, so how many times did you sit down with your wife and you were look, 
looking at each other, maybe with a glass of wine or a beer in your hand and go, are we really doing this? Uh, many times. <laughs> many it was times. The, the worst time. Yeah. I mean, that was really, you know, selling her on, you know, she knew I was miserable. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that path I could spend four hours talking about, but, you know, convincing my wife who I don't want to call her corporate wife, but a corporate mentality of, okay, you're getting a paycheck every two weeks, right? right. And you just need right. to manage your expenses up to that check and make sure you don't spend as much and you save mm-hmm. and you have a good life to all of a sudden, hey, uh, you need to earn up to those expenses now, right? So that's a whole different mindset for us. It was terrifying and scary. And, um, you know, she was on board. I mean, once I got her, once we went to a discovery day, we met the owners, we saw the system and she she kind of kept thinking, wait, my, my, my marketing executive husband is now going to paint houses. What? I'm like, no, honey, I'm not painting. I'm setting up a business. I'm doing the process. Like I've never picked up a brush. I'm not, right, you know, right. but uh, once she kind of got it, it was there. It also, I presented her with a bunch of uh, other ideas that she totally hated and I kept pushing them. And then my franchise coach wisely instructed, and I believe my dad along the way was, Hey, if your wife's not on board, like that's one of the five reasons why you never start a business, right? One is right. partnerships. Two is your wife's not on board. Mm-hmm. Three, you don't have, you know, retail, you know, he named off a bunch of things, but not having your wife on board was the worst. And until she really signed into five star, it, there's no way I could have, I could have done it. I mean, it was, yeah, she was a major part of it. Yeah. Well, I thought it was an important point to bring up. Oh, for sure. Uh, Cause I can just imagine I, I'm not married, but um, I can imagine having those conversations with a wife if I'd had one or a spouse and starting up this business and be like, oh, really going to do this. Yeah, she said that a lot. She didn't sleep well until we actually, I mean, we had a, we had a period there where we didn't know if we could negotiate out sort of, a, you know, a, a, a package. An, an exit say, clause. An exit clause. Yeah. A, hey, you know, can we actually do this? And until we had that, it was okay. We got six months to make this thing fly. So we right. just worked like mad dogs. And it wasn't until um, five and a half months in and she was just at her breaking point. It was just her and I kind of running everything that uh, we sat back with our franchise coach. He said, hey, you guys, this is a marathon. This isn't a sprint. You guys yep. are sprinting. Stop. Yep. Relax. You're doing amazing. You're, you know, you're making money. You're just, you know, you, you just got to relax a bit. So that helped. Yeah, I unfortunately made the choice of starting up a business uh, four or five months before a pandemic hit. <laughs> how, many people, how many people predict that, right? You yeah. know, oh, great. They got a pandemic hitting and certainly that's going to make a major impact to a company that's trying to get started. All right, let's move over to David. So David, uh, if you wouldn't mind telling the audience a little bit about your your career path and your life. Certainly some similarities. Um I majored in labor law in college and uh, decided I, I did not want to go into that. I didn't want to spend another three, four years in a library. <clears throat> so I started off with Johnson & Johnson uh, in the pharmaceutical drug device industry, which I spent 20 out of 23 years in corporate life, <clears throat> 22 were in the pharmaceutical drug, Bristol-Myers Squibb, J&J. I had one year, which I won't mention the name of the company in purgatory, <clears throat> which was the fast food industry. Mm. And coming from a, a high-value, high-quality company where the syringes and needles were used on you and your kids right. um, versus I wouldn't eat the food going out of the plant. So a little varied career there. Um, finally decided to, uh, with uh, with Bristol-Myers Squibb, uh, in charge of all training and development for the company, U.S. and Canada, for our division, to start my own company. 
And uh, we had two kids in college at the time. Me. Go <laughs> <laughs> um, Golden Grace. Similar conversations with my wife. Um, but she was told I had to have her on board. She was totally on board. And the kids supported us too. They knew the the, the stuff going through with corporate life. As you all know, you know, you're, you're working 50, 60 hours a week and you get 1.7% raise. Wow. You know? And so I, I knew I could do it. Um, a, a, a quick example was I had to hire in a, a, a special consultant from Boston per my corporation for a program to run. Mm-hmm. And this guy got $5,000 a day. This is 1989. Wow. Five grand a day. Two-day program on non-financial, finance for non-financial managers. <clears throat> After uh, two days, I had VPs and directors come out of that uh, training room and said, don't ever bring this guy back into New York. He was horrible. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, I think I can do this. <laughs> I don't need five grand a day. I can do it for less. So long story short, um, we made the decision. Um, I gave my boss three months notice and he could have let me go the next day. But uh, I was in good shape with him. I put together all of our objectives for the year and wrapped up a program, started our company three months later. During that time is when I started to develop a, a base. You know, I would go out to... Anybody, make a list of anyone I met, anyone I could remember from fraternity brothers, high school people, neighbors. And then I put them into kind of like chicken wings, mild, medium, and hot. And, uh, <laughs> Those are the only three flavors of chicken wings, by the way. <laughs> well, there is a suicide hot, but uh, I can't handle those. Being from Buffalo, we, we know wings. So I called them and put them, then arranged them in different categories and I never ask anyone for business. I would say, you know, if I were to go into this, you know, any suggestions? Who do you think? Yada, yada, that kind of thing. Indirect. It worked out beautifully. I also had a backup. I had two or three, I had three companies, uh, international training development companies who wanted to hire me. They knew I was leaving Bristol-Myers. So I I told them that I really had to to try this. You know, if I didn't, I went with them and got my paycheck. I would never be able to say to myself, could I have done it? So I said, I might be calling you six months. <laughs> right. I can't eat. And um, we did well. We started off um, uh, myself. I was the only trainer. My wife did all the finances for me. She did all the administration. I, when people ask what our relationship was, I said, well, <clears throat> I deposit, she withdraws. <laughs> <laughs> My job is to put in more than she withdraws. Right, right. And uh, not an awful lot different than when in corporate life, except I had a steady paycheck. Like right. Scott said, now I got to say, I got to earn this much. That's right. And I had some good advice from people, and I, I related back to Scott. In the, in the same day, you're going to be in Pike's Peak in Death Valley. Same day, mm-hmm. same hour. Yeah, you you hit that big client, you get that big one, and an hour later you lose something, and and that takes a phenomenal amount of patience. When that big invoice came in, um, yeah, it's totally, and that's so. I've yeah. said that so many times in our business because I'll see that, and you never had those types of highs in the corporate world. Right. It's just yeah. like, holy cow! Like I, I haven't had a call. I'm on vacation, and this is like, how am I here? And then to this lowest point, and. It's just you have to find some kind of middle ground, you used to tell me. Still tells me. 
Well, in the corporate world, you're sort of insulated or buffered from all that yeah. because you're only a segment or a part of a bigger business, right? Yeah. Uh, from that perspective. And you're certainly not seeing all the payroll mm. checks and everything going out the door unless you're up at executive or senior level. Yeah. They're, they're the ones that are like the entrepreneur that are watching those peaks. And, you know, if you're in upper middle management like I was or below, you sort of get insulated from those things. And so you're right. It's a little bit of a sticker shock, if you will, when you get into your yeah. own business because you're sort of acting like a CEO or CFO and so forth in a big corporation. Yeah. You just never had exposure to that. I've said to my wife, it's a different deal when you see the bank account where the money has to come out of to go to your account. <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Holy cow. Yeah. It's kind of low. <laughs> well, you, you, you wear all hats. You know, you, you are the CEO and the CFO and the, the whole nine yards. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting because uh, we made some very strategic decisions in the beginning, which we were lucky they were the right ones. We didn't want any full-time employees where Scott does have those. Um, we didn't incorporate because we really didn't have liability. Mm -hmm. um, you know, someone, I trained them on leadership and they get fired, were they going to sue me because they got fired? Because I didn't right. train them right? That's probably right. not, you know? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so we didn't have full-time employees, but all of them were uh, people who also had other jobs, and they were doing training. And I got a network going uh, globally where about 85 to 90% of our business was international. And we ended up with 25 trainers. We trained in 11 languages globally. And um, it really worked out. The best decision I ever made was to go into business for ourselves. But yeah, well, you and I will have to compare notes about where you went around the world. Well, I haven't been to Russia. <laughs> see, yet. see how many um, line up between the two of us. Yeah. So, um, Scott, why don't you talk a little bit about five star painting? Sure. Uh, from the perspective of uh, what type of painting do you do in terms of what? Where is your market? Mm -hmm. um, how, how do you decide or make your decisions about marketing? What might be some critical, I call them critical, critical success factors in sure. the painting business? Sure. So our, our market is mainly North Atlanta. We, we, we market towards specific zip codes. So we can do that both with magazine, uh, any type of print. We can do that with uh, pay-per-click. Uh, so we focus on... Um, uh, pretty much residential repaints, so residential people that are uh, looking to repaint their house uh, on interiors and exteriors. Mm -hmm. We do targeting towards commercial as well. Uh, we have specific campaigns against commercial uh, properties that people are looking to repaint offices or existing businesses. We don't market at all towards any new construction. Um, we've heard a lot of horror stories about it, and we've tried it, and we just don't price it right. It's just the, the pay structure is different. Everything's different about it. So equipment's different that the crews need to have. So uh, we don't do that at all. So we're... Well, you would have to say new construction is like the volume yeah. side of the business. Yeah. You need a business model that's extremely low cost. You've got to make up for it from the volume perspective. Right. Uh, and that takes certain things in, in your business in the marketplace to make that work for you. Yeah. And there's too much risk. Um, a lot yeah. of builders go under there. They might be great builders, but are they great businessmen? So sure. we've really been specific about who we do business with, even from a general contractor perspective. So right. we found some finally that have been fantastic that have put us on great jobs. 
um, after we've, you know, uh, hit to hit some bumps in the roads, but, um, so yeah, so we focus, uh, we, we focus, you know, our marketing needs to be flashy. It needs to be fun. It needs to be clean, bright, um, professional. It's just the way that we have to approach things to catch people's eyes. Cause they're, you're inundated with brands anymore. You're inundated with ads. Um, so we, we enjoy that. I do all the local marketing, uh, myself. I get inspiration from other five stars across the country. Uh, but we really, uh, you know, it's fun and I've really dived in the last three years and taken an approach uh, of really doing heavy, heavy networking, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of guys don't across the country. Um, but we've really jumped into it, uh, it based on some data we saw from, from Sherman Williams. They, they did a survey of people that came into a store and said, hey, how did you hire a contractor? And it was like 80% was right. someone they knew or someone that was recommended. And if you looked at, I remember seeing the pie chart, if you looked at, how I spent my money, it was not towards networking and building my brand and brand awareness. Sure. It was all around buying leads and using things like Home Advisor and Angie's. I said, man, I got to flip this. I need to be, when you think painting, you think five star. And I, I say this to my team all the time, you know, the popcorn sales rep somehow convinced the microwave manufacturer to put his button in there. How on earth, it was a potato <laughs> guy, right? So how yeah, on earth, right. like think about how you're just like incorporated into someone. So I'm trying to you know, or navigate now where just with some sort of property manager, just, oh, paint faster, paint faster. It's just like a, it's just an immediate thing. So that's why I, I try to focus when I think about the strategy. Very good. So what, um, what would you say is uh, the strengths and weaknesses of the franchise model? For those that might be looking to get into business, they got that that bug or their itch and they're looking at what's the best fit for them. What would you say is the the pros and cons of the franchise model? So they might use that as an input into their decision making. Fantastic question. So, um, and we know it well. So we've been involved in the IFA. I've talked to other brands. So the IFA is International Franchising Association and they're global. and, you know, they represent people like McDonald's and such and Dunkin' Donuts, large ones. Um, strengths and weaknesses. I would, you know, the strength for the franchise world is that you've got a recognized brand, right? So those of you that are thinking of starting a, a company, right? So, uh, or, or you're going to build a brand, what do you even name it, right? So it's just a tremendous amount of thought and effort and creativity that need to go in just to that effort alone. So when you buy into a franchise, you have that brand, you're leveraging their strength from elsewhere, um, a lot of the systems are completely already created. So you're not your CRM system, your, your invoicing, your pay, you know, you don't have to create any of that. Uh, all of that is all done for you. Um, they usually give you a system then of how to sell, how to invoice, how to actually do the thing that you're selling, right? Mm-hmm. So if you buy into a subway, you, you're taught how to make the sandwich a certain way and get it out the door and how to market. Um, the weaknesses I would say of a franchise, you know, you get to a point where, um, you become very, very knowledgeable, right? So you get to the size where it's like, okay, I'm helping and giving back to the system. So, you know, what am I getting back from the system now that I'm a, a certain size? I, I, it's almost gets flipped a bit. So it's like, I'm helping them a lot and helping their new people because mm-hmm. we've invented things. We've brought new systems to the franchise or, um, and that, that, that can be a weakness because it can be a struggle. It can be a fight. It can be, hey, look, I, I just, you need to help me get to here. You help me get to here, but I really want to get to, you know, multiple million dollars and, and, and try and really make a true, be a true owner, not an operator. I want right. to be an owner. I want to be, you know, set up a general manager, set up uh, that type. And, and that can be a weakness for some, some franchisors that are just see you as, okay, no, we just want you to do this. <laughs> um, and, 
I just have higher aspirations than that. So um, that's what scared me a little bit about kind of completely doing it on my own was just the ability then to really, how do I scale? How do I, how do I really blow this thing out? And I was so new into the, the small business world that that steered me a bit away. Um, and the things that I was good at, like to add with the consulting is um, it was good, but I just, the other consultants I talked to and, 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 and he can, um, you know, probably attest to this too, is that you really only make what you earn, what you go out and do. He was smart enough to get like 25 other trainers. So he mm-hmm. would make money sleeping. Right. So mm-hmm. he, he had guys in Europe working and he yeah. wake up and, Oh, he closed the job. Right. Great. You know, so uh, I was always trying to think like that. Like, how do you bake this bigger than you? So you're actually developing a system and a product that, that people could benefit from while you're not actually touching and physically doing everything. Yeah. It's called mailbox money. Yeah. Mailbox money. <laughs> That's a good term. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good term. So in your estimation, Scott, how important is it to be working with a franchisee that has a track record? I, I, I sat down once. I'm a big fan of the show The Profit on CNBC. Yep. Um, I think he does a great job and he was working with a guy that was trying to start up a coffee shop based franchise and he had, he had two stores of his own and like six franchisees and he just was not, uh, didn't have proper training, proper marketing materials. His, his, his product wasn't too bad, yeah. but the, the franchisees were just. Well, they're floundering. They wanted to grab him by the neck because they just weren't getting what they needed from him as a as a franchisee, particularly since they're paying some money out of their business to to him right. uh, to help them be successful. Well, we watch that show all the time. We love it. Yeah. So it's right. It's people, process, and profit. Pro- so the, right. the, the the process they probably don't have the process. And we focused on that a few years ago because we would I'd have a sales guy out there selling the job. That's great. He would sell it. We'd have painters show up, mm-hmm. and the customers like. Wait, um, oh, I'm supposed to take my screens down or, oh, I had to move that furniture. So we just sat down and, and laid it all out and said, okay, from step one to 10, exactly what does the customer need to know? Because the franchisor wasn't giving us that. So we wrote all of that. Right. And if you don't have a franchisor that, you know, if anybody's talking to a franchise coach, I would ask them, what's the playbook? Is it, is it written? Is the, do you have a standard procedures for how you do things? If they don't, if you're just riding off some fancy cookie brand name or something, but they're not telling you how to order supplies and you're not, you're going to struggle. Um, you know, it's like that guy you saw, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so let's move to the other side. David, you were not in a franchise model. So no. uh, from an entrepreneurial perspective, stuff's not, you're like me, stuff's not handed to you uh, in terms of a playbook and this right. is everything you need to be doing. So. From that perspective, what do you feel like were your critical success factors? What were the things you really had to be paying attention to in order to make your business successful? Good question. Um, especially in in the, for lack of a better term, consulting. That can mean so many different things. Mm-hmm. Training and development. You, you needed to either be something unique for people or have some kind of a track record of success or a product that was well-known. And I kind of had all those. The product that we started with is the most highly used leadership development program in the world called Situational Leadership, Dr. Paul Hershey's program. Everyone knew it. I mean, it's used all over the world. Yeah, I've heard of it. So having that and not just Dave Specker's training program, which we eventually 
eventually developed for new supervisors and things like that. But, you know, when I had people come to me and either sent to me or a buddy would say, geez, I'm thinking of going into the business. So come on up, let's talk. And uh, they say, I really like working with people. <laughs> well, yeah, Burger King, you know, I mean, there's people there. What do you mean? What are you bringing to the party? Mm-hmm. You know, let me ask you a question. What? Why should I hire you? You need to have the answer of what makes you different from all the other people. What's your value? What do you bring into this party? Yeah, so and, you need an elevator pitch. But one of the things I always yeah. uh, talk to my mentees in the Boeing company, as well as my direct reports, is it, you may not be a leader in this business, but you need an elevator pitch because you never know when you might find yourself actually in an elevator with an executive vice president or CEO that's outgoing. They want to know what, yeah. what what do you do in the business and how do you contribute to the business? You know, I'm paying your salary, so what are you doing for me? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So, so you're absolutely right. You need to know the value that you're bringing to the table. Yeah. And not just be one of another, oh, I've worked in HR and I've worked with people and I really enjoy helping them. And okay, the social work. But I mean, if you really go into training and develop, you got to have something to present, <clears throat> something that they're going to buy. And, uh, you know, you can you can play the, the razor blade game. You know, I just want them to buy my books. Okay. And, and I make money on my books. So I, we didn't play that. Mm-hmm. We, we wanted to go in and, and stand in front of them and train their people. And, and when we first started off, <clears throat> you'd, you'd say yes to almost everyone. Can you do this? Oh, yeah, no problem. Then I'd go spend two weeks putting together a program I never did before. But thank goodness they came out well. But then you get to the point where you say, you know what? I want to start talking to the, the people who are going to support this when I leave. So we start meeting with the VP of HR, all right, or the, the, the VP of sales or whomever it was, and say, or even the president in some cases, and, and suggest to them that they start at the top. You want to bring leadership development into this organization. You know, you want to start at the top. And when they say, you know what, we, we don't really need it, but our people do. I've turned down jobs because of that. Mm-hmm. Once you get going a few years. Yeah, we, yeah. we did the same. We accepted everything we could get. And yeah. then it was like, you know what? I don't think we're going to do that. I remember quoting a Walmart. It was my second year in the business. And all my friends were yelling, don't do it. Don't do it. You don't know what you're doing. I said, oh, no, no, This lady's calling me. You know, it's going to be great. It's like $90,000. A great job. You know, it's in Florida where you're licensed. And like, I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, luckily, I didn't get it. But uh, after that, I started refusing a lot more work. Yeah, because what happens, especially in the training development area, is you go in, you train maybe a certain level, and and then they don't do any follow-ups, which we have beautiful follow-up programs do mm-hmm. six months later, a year later, whatever, that enhances practices, does things like that. And uh, if they didn't want to do any of that, then, you know, a year or two later, they said, what was that program we had in there? Yeah, it didn't work. It didn't do any good. Well, it's not the problem of the, our training. Mm-hmm. It's a problem that, you know, you're going for the flavor of the month whatever you're reading, you know, say, oh, here's the new program. We'll try yeah. that one. Yep. Yeah. Well, it, I can't tell you how many times in the Boeing company, I used to joke around my work colleagues uh, about, okay, what's the, the color of the year? Yeah. Because every year <laughs> you can count on the structure of the company changing. The training programs are bringing are different. to be bringing in different people. And just like you said, uh, I, I had a wonderful experience with, um, a wonderful um, 
executive development lady. She actually changed my life. Um, I give her credit for that. Uh, and I'll probably do a whole episode on that particular piece. But uh, but like you said, there was no follow-up. Yeah. You know, I had wonderful three or four-month experience with her, and it improved things for me dramatically as a leader. But that was it. It's like, we, we've got this budget. Here it is. Let's throw it over the wall, hope it sticks, and, and we move on. <clears throat> Until somebody else gets in that position and they have different ideas and, and it just felt like knee jerk all the time. It's like moving over here, moving over here, moving over yeah. here uh, from that perspective. So I can relate to what you're saying. I think dad had a good point though on, uh, you know, on, on when people would approach me and they still do. And it sounds like they did him too. Hey, I'm thinking of doing this thing. Right. So we would, we, we would field calls and stuff from, potential franchisees and my wife would kind of get right to the point of, okay, you know, what type of person are you? Are you sales and marketing? Have you done mm-hmm. a Myers-Briggs test on your personality? Where are you on that? Cause you need to know yourself as an entrepreneur. You need to know what are your strengths and weaknesses more than any corporate job ever, yep. because you've got to hire for your weaknesses. And in our world, you had to be an extrovert. You had to be able to sell, stand up in front of a group, mm-hmm. talk about this company that they should hire because it's fantastic. And by the way, oh, it doesn't exist yet. But you know, it's, <laughs> I mean, I was selling paint jobs before I had painters. I was talking about a networking groups about this great, you know, but it was a concept. It wasn't real. It wasn't yet real. And right. so I had to sell. I had to truly, and I still do. I mean, you still have to talk. Someone has to talk in that company and sell your pitch, your idea. And we, you know, we'd see people come in with, you could tell they're just kind of operations guys. Are, you know, you, well, you don't even have customer reviews at that point. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, or, te- yeah. or customer testimonials. Right. You don't no. have that. No. Uh, I would use other ones from like California or something. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, there's Jim. Right. Yeah, Irving. Well, that's one benefit of the franchise models. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can do that as opposed to standing on your own two feet. So let's move on to. Um, I like to get the two of you guys talking about the father son dynamic that both went down the entrepreneurial path mm-hmm. and. Uh, Scott, what kind of advice or what what did you see your father model that maybe um, excited you about possibly choosing, you know, burned out from the corporate world? I want to go do something different. I've got a little bit of that taste in my mouth because I watched my dad yeah. and so forth. If you could uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I knew he was miserable. So, you know, I was in college and a teenage kid and wrapped up in my own stuff, but he, I knew he wasn't happy. Um, and then... You know, to simplify it, I knew he was much happier once he started working for himself. So mm-hmm. they either hit it or they never, never showed us the stress of, of doing it. I do recall my mom at one point, uh, when they were starting saying, okay, Dave, we need to get going. And, you know, he was like organizing his desk and she's like, come on, we need to make calls. We need to get going on this. And I don't know if you were gung shy or, mm-hmm. or you, you know, you were stuck in sort of the planning mode and she was ready to go. But, you know, the big thing was happiness. I saw him a lot happier. Um, I started writing, in fact, in 1990, I graduated college in 94. I started writing my own business plan in college to start the rock climbing gym. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I graduated with a business plan and a marketing plan mm-hmm. and a whole focus group around starting a, a rock climbing gym in, in Western New York. It was way before they were, they were up there. It was new. And so I pitched that. I worked with two great, amazing college uh, professors that helped me do all that. And he helped, of course. And um, so I just said, okay, the financial freedom, the, the freedom to not work for someone. Cause he was just full of stories of, you know, just the 1.5% pay increases and stuff. 
So that was inspiring. And I saw him live a, <clears throat> live a life with my mom that he never lived before. The travel, he was all over the world. I mean, how many countries have you been in? 26 countries? No, no. <laughs> high 30s. High 30s, yeah. you know, all over. And just he just called me like, you know. And then I – so as I – Went up in the in the corporate world. I was sort of high on it because it was great and we were making money and I was getting promoted and traveling. But then when it started to go down, when I would talk to him about it, he could totally relate. And it was he was like, okay, you need to start thinking about something else. And he he could totally relate. And I remember one time talking to him or talking to Sharon on the phone. We were trying to have a uh, multiple call, and I was super stressed. And he said to me later, he said, I could hear in your voice myself, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And that's exactly why, you know, I left what I did because I, I could hear it in your voice. And I was like, oh, and it still gets me emotionally thinking about that. But um, yeah, that was part of it. So, so David, what was running through your mind when Scott started um, <laughs> after his corporate world and was thinking about going the entrepreneurial path? Was that like a... a Heartbeat was racing through your chest, like, oh no, scared for your son, or, or, you know, no. were you a cheerleader, or? I wasn't scared. Um, he looked at, Scott looked at a number of different franchises. The painting one wasn't on the top of my list of suggestions, mm -hmm. um, but obviously he's done very well with it um, because you are dealing with a whole different world than you are in corporate life. Um, and I knew he wasn't going to be the painter, but you're now going to have employees and yeah, you had employees and, in, in uh, in corporate life, but you're going to have a different world reporting to you. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I knew that he would do well. Um, if you're going to start your own company, you have got to have a phenomenal amount of uh, initiative, persistence, get up in the morning, get to freaking work. Yeah, there was a time because uh, I'm not a, I wasn't a salesperson. I never had to be, you know, it just came to me mm -hmm. and, and you were right. I was more getting organized <laughs> and Carol said, you know, get your butt going and make some calls. And I wasn't a big, I hated cold calls. I'd rather run into the wall. <laughs> uh, you know, Scott, he loves it. Love, you know, get me in there. And so that was a tough life for me to get, get that. But you, you've not, it's easy to sleep later. It's easier to take more vacation. It's easier to go play golf. You don't do that. You probably put more yeah. hours in when we Absolutely. first started yeah. than I ever did in corporate life. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, weekends, pff, that's not a weekend. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a day, and I'm still working. Or I'm in an airplane, you know, flying here. And so uh, I don't know that I – I don't think I ever tried to discourage you to do anything, but caution. But I knew the two of them would do it because they, they, they were just like Carol and I. You know, two peas in a pod, they work well together. And and uh, Sharon, as my wife, had administrative experience. So she could run that. I don't want to mess with that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to mess with the, the bills or, or all that. I'd be happy to go out there and, and set up the job, maybe run the job, and get my people to, to job, book the jobs, and then go to the next one. And then just say, okay, go collect the money. That's why I say deposit and withdraw. So, yeah. So I want to um, touch a little bit on a point you brought up a little bit earlier, Scott, about having to know thyself and what your strengths are. If we could, particularly with uh, your dad, David, being in the, um, the training and development side of the business. So I'd like to hear from both of you as to 
because uh, it's it's a it's one of the most important <clears throat> excuse me messages in my business that I've tried to hit upon and meeting with people and this podcast and so forth is um, self-leadership about knowing what's inside of you, uh, where's your drive, Mm -hmm. where's your why, how, what uh, type pieces uh, so that you know that going in. And, And the reason I say that is for me, one of the critical success factors is how much is an entrepreneur uh, creating what I call white space in their time to be working on their business, dealing with their strategy, dealing with their marketing, the high level stuff to keep their business growing as opposed to being stuck in the weeds and the tactics in the day-to-day operation and just sort of uh, floating along in the ocean, so to speak. Uh, from that perspective. So I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on that notion about how important is it to know yourself such that you know your strengths, you know where you need to sort of take the weaknesses and hand it off to somebody else or contract it out so that you do have that white space to work on the things that you add value in your own business and could be working on your business. It's key. So, you know, basic personality tests we took when I first started, and I'll never forget my franchise coach, Steve Miller. Uh, he got my personality back and he looked at it and it was, uh, he looked at it and he goes, well, I can see why you're miserable in the corporate world. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, really? What am I? What does it say? So, what do you mean by that? Good laugh about that. So, I was just kind of high on the eye or the, uh, I don't know, extrovert or something. It was a completely opposite of what I was doing, which is very data heavy. And um, so, you know, that immediately said, okay, I need to focus. Um, so to your point, I needed to put myself really in the spot where no one else in the company, um, where can I add the most values? Usually where I have the highest strengths compared to everyone else. Um, and then my weaknesses were really the things I didn't like. So, I mean, I can do some of the things in the company. I just didn't like it and I can find people to do it. Um, and really I want to try and find people to do it better than me and bring new ideas. So we've had a lot of that lately, which is great, but you know, the real value is when you look at, okay, what is this activity? What is this actually worth? And think about how much you want to make, right? So mm-hmm. if this is a $15 an hour activity, you could probably find someone to do it. Why should I be doing this? I could find someone else. And if it needs to be done a lot during a week, then you hire someone um, and kind of work your way out of the of your system. But um, truly finding where you add value, I think, you know, it's a constant journey. It never changes. So, you know, uh, Andy and I are in a uh, fantastic group of people. And, and one of them, uh, uh, Karen Burchard, presented this a while ago, had a list of the things that you uh, that you do that you're working on your business and then in your business. Mm-hmm. And I had that printed off on my desk. I had that printed and I looked at that for like six months. And then I ended up writing up specifically what I can do based on those topics and said, okay, this is what, this is Scott's time. I actually made a pie chart of my time. This is where, and I use this again, Sharon too. Like, Hey, I can't do that. I got to focus on this. Yeah, yeah. And then she hit me and tell me to just shut up and do it. But, um, <laughs> but no, it was, it was just really high value things, right? So, right. you know, no one else can network. No one else can call the, you know, a general a GC and go meet with them and sit down and talk about our company and talk about how we can add value to them. Right. So right. I'm the guy that can do that. So, um, 
Yeah, no, it's a, it never changes, first of all, but then it's really surrounding yourself with knowing, okay, if I'm, if I'm in the weeds and sending bills, that's in the business, right? But if I'm looking six months down and trying to think of the marketing activities that are going to make the phone ring in December, that's on the business. That's something yeah. I need to focus on. So knowing those differences is huge. Well, one of the key points I always is to tell my mentees uh, in Boeing, particularly if they were in leadership and had people underneath them or were running a business or a P&L is... Don't be afraid to hire smarter people than you. Right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're responsible for meeting goals, for right. results uh, within the company, and you, you'll get recognized for that. Right. Um, so, you know, influence your people, motivate them, be engaging with them, uh, be a life coach for them. But yeah. at the end of the day, don't be afraid to hire smarter people. Yeah. Don't have that fear in your heart going, well, he's smarter than me. I don't want him on the team because he'll take my job. No, and they, it's, that's not yeah. that's not the way the way to do business. And we focused probably because of that on a lot of <clears throat> training. So we we put people in industry things. We put people, um, you know, we fly them out all over the place. I mean, the amount of money we spend on training, you think, well, what do you need to train for paint? There's a lot. Yeah. I mean, the, it, go to Sherman Williams. There's they have seven brands. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. So you've got to constantly be training people. Uh, to, to keep them, you know, top of their game. So, David, any, any thoughts from your side? Yeah, a few. You mentioned the word success. Um, and how You didn't ask how to define it, but you mentioned the word, and, uh, you know, you could go half an hour on that. But Oh, yeah. The, the success part, I guess, is what drove me because I, <clears throat> I had some very stringent goals that – I had to behave appropriately or certain ways to get those goals. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the first part of that was to be able to provide for my family as well as I did when I was in corporate life. So they wouldn't feel any effect of me now not being there as much and not having a, a paycheck coming in. And so success to me was if I can do that in the beginning, I, I'm getting to where I want to go. Um, and, and then very personally, um, one of my first goals was I want to make the first year no less than I made my last year in corporate life. Mm -hmm. And I did beat it. Well, good for you. Now, I also, because of my position in the company, knew people's salaries. So I knew what the president of the company was making. And I said, I want to make more than him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Three years. In, in the first year or at some point three in the years. Journey. Wow, you never told three, me that. Three years. I knew the first, that's funny, I'd never do that. Yeah. Uh, the first, his first goal was exactly my goal. I didn't want my kids to feel the pain of this. Yeah. And at some point I, I did want them to, but then I thought, no, I probably shouldn't do that. So, you know, I would set goals and things to do. I get tied up in minutia. I, I can, I, it, matter of fact, it happened Yesterday, <clears throat> the the thing you sent me on COVID with all those numbers is yeah. I love Excel. He's but, an Excel wizard. Mm. He's seventy seven years old. It's yeah. ridiculous. Can, yeah. yeah, I mean I can blow two days and not what I did because I've got charts and graphs and, and a thousand formulas. And right. I started playing with yours. I thought, well, let's put lines in there. Let's. You don't have to have all this in there. Then I, you know, seriously. You know, 20 minutes later, I said, what am I doing this for? <laughs> First of all, that was for one day. 
you know, and I think it was the 26th of August, and here it was, what, yesterday. See, that's all old information. Right. So that happened once in a while when you're, you know, starting things off and you're comfortable developing a new, uh, some kind of sheet that's going to record stuff for you and show you. It doesn't have to, you know, give you the data that's going to help you and not get tied up in the minutia. So I had to be careful with that. I could get tied into it yeah. pretty well. That's funny. <laughs> I, I did as well, but more on the creative side. I'll never forget one of the, my most fun projects. And I have these ideas all the time. So I had this idea to make barn doors for people. This is before barn doors were a thing. I said, man, we can make these barn doors. I found someone who could make them, someone who could install them, mm-hmm. found a supplier for the thing, and I tied it all together. I had so much fun. I made this cool brochure. And I started to market it. I didn't sell one of them. But I had so much fun doing it because it was like for me. Yeah. I was like, this is my thing. Yeah. Didn't sell one. Well, but it was fun. The day I got my Georgia Tech degree, my father, who was in sales all of his life, he retired as a VP for a major corporation, uh, looked at me. I was standing there proudly with my degree in my hand with a big smile on his face. And he said, son, just because you can build it, doesn't mean you can sell it. <laughs> and those words stuck in my head all through my career that, you know, as, you, as, as you're looking at business strategy and the marketplace and everything, there's a timing to everything that you may have this. And it happened to me in my career. I had a, a great idea that's still possibly viable out there in the marketplace in the aviation world. Um, but the technology available out in the marketplace wasn't where it needed to be to get it done. So yeah, it's a great idea and you can try and go out and make it, but if you don't have the right pieces or there's not a problem, the problem you're trying to solve is not out in the marketplace, you're going to fall flat on your face. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to take a, an idea and just put it on the shelf and just keep an eye on things, you know, Mm -hmm. what's going on with technology and whatever. And then, uh, the last few years in my in my career with Boeing, those pieces started showing up, and I was jumping up and down. Mm-hmm. Got to do this. Got to do this. Got to do this. And just like, you know, executives were in a different place. Anyway, uh, we're sort of running out of our time. So, whenever I have guests uh, come on the show, I always finish with one question, and I'll do this for every guest that comes in. So the question is. What do the words generate your value mean to you? So I'm going to, I'm going to start with David sure. this time. Uh, when you hear the words generate your value, what, what comes to your mind, David? In life well, or in business? Yeah, well, I kind of tie them together. It's like success, family and business tied together. Um, I guess to generate... And, and I'm, I'm, when I think of that, I think about not just within myself, mm-hmm. but of sharing that value with other people. And you have to understand what your value is and what your values are. And, and I guess whether this really hits that subject or not is I like to try and do something for someone every day that they can't repay me. Mm. Mm. I can't follow that. <laughs> That's a whole lot. I'm sure you can. You got your own ideas. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Whatever it might be. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <clears throat> don't always hit it. I mean, maybe just let someone come through a light before me or, or whatever. But um, so I, I think I'm 
that's part of my value system. And maybe that's how I attempt to generate it. Yeah. Okay, Scott. Holy cow. So what do I think when I hear generate your value or? Yeah. What comes when somebody's, when you first met me and you, what's my name? What's my company name? It's generate your value. What, yeah. what, what came to your mind at that point or uh-huh. as you've been spending time with me and that name's sort of been in front of you a yeah. little bit now, what, what? I think it's a lot of things. I think, I think it's really focusing on the things that you do that make a difference in the, in the world and in the people. I think um, it's, and continually, it's not just, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, when the word generate is great too, because it's just, it's a continuous thing. Um, your value talks about your, the unique, when I hear value, I think something unique that not everybody else can do. Uh, and then it's really focusing in on your strengths, the, the things that really make you who you are and that, um, you know, will hopefully make you a lot of money and, um, you know, make a lot of people happy around you. Yeah, but, uh, Zach and I did a whole, our very first episode on the podcast was talking about the different types of value, you know, value that your product service offers uh, in the marketplace solving a problem is one particular set of value. There's also emotional value and that gets into both the product side as well as on the life side, right? So what value are you adding, as, as your dad said, value that you're adding into people's lives um, how do you make them feel? Are you supporting them? Are you helping them to be successful as they define it for themselves and those type things? So mm-hmm. it's, it's multifaceted. And that's why I like to ask that question because I'm sure as guests come on, they'll, they'll be hitting all different yeah. sides of that, that diamond, so to speak, a facet in terms of the words generate and value. So, um, Greatly appreciate the two of you coming uh, today on the podcast and offering your unique experiences on your corporate and entrepreneurial journeys. I wish, uh, Scott, you the, the most success. Thank you very much. In your journey with Thanks your wife. Um, certainly, I'll be around supporting you. You bet. Um, in that effort and um, go generate your value, man. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So, um, thanks for listening in today. Um, if you took some tidbits away from this and you feel like this podcast is uh, generating some value in your life, I'd ask you to uh, hit that subscribe button and tune into the episodes. Make sure that you know that um, a new uh, episode hits every Tuesday afternoon and uh, join Zach and I on this journey. So that being said, I hope you have a great day and the rest of your week and uh, take care. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the Generate Your Value podcast. If you find our conversations to be useful in your life, I invite you to subscribe to our podcast so that you don't miss an episode. You can find me online at Primerica.com slash Brian with a Y, Z Levy, the Facebook and LinkedIn platforms. For information on my coaching services, if you're in the Atlanta area, go to www.generateyourvalue.com. You can also find me and my company on the LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram platforms. Simply search for Generate Your Value. Once again, thanks for joining us for today's podcast, and we invite you to generate your value in this world.